You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm your host, Lou Rosenfeld. And my guest today, Sarah Brooks. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Lou. Sarah, it's great to have you join us. Uh, You and I have sort of known about each other for a number of years, but um, we even were neighbors at one point here in Park Slope (laughs) where you you decamped for uh, the beach. Um, But um, we're working together right now, Sarah and I, uh, on a new community and conference that Rosenfeld Media is standing up with the help of a fantastic curation team of which Sarah, along with uh, Ariel Kennan, uh, Charlotte Lee, and Martha Doris uh, are working to curate. And so uh, we're putting together a, a community and a conference on civic design, and that's really been a blast. And, and Sarah, I wanted to talk with you today um, because you're one of those people who... I know of who's really been impactful at a broad systems level. Uh, you've been, um, I mean, you've got all kinds of experience uh, in startups and, and small agencies, but then you, about what, seven, eight years ago, you, you made a transition. You actually were a U.S. Presidential Innovation Fellow and worked uh, with the Department of Veterans Affairs here in the U.S. and really took on some like substantial challenges that were at an organizational level. And that's not something a lot of designers get to do, at least not early in their careers, although that may be changing. And, and then you've moved uh, since then uh, back to the private sector. You're an executive design leader at IBM where you, you work with uh, the development and the diffusion of standards and practices. Uh, that cut across uh, IBM's various product and, and service teams. So I'm really interested to, to get into how you made that move from, oh, I don't know, micro to macro. That's probably a really mm-hmm. inelegant way to put it. But I think you know which I, where, where I'm getting at. Thanks, Lou. I'm happy to be talking with you. Yeah. I think at the root, I'm interested in in working with groups and ecosystems of people, just trying to make a dent in the world in some positive way. And so, yes, I I started out doing that with much smaller groups of people and then um, quite organically was led to an awareness of this work, design work happening at the federal level through a friend of mine in the San Francisco social design ecosystem who became Uh, one of the second class of fellows in the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program that you mentioned, something that um, President Obama started in order to bring people who are doing some kind of innovation in the private sector into the public sector. So to bring that mix of skills, a lot of people had some kind of background in data science, development, Um, large software applications, build out, migration, modernization, and designers. So um, I learned about that program. I got very interested in what that problem space could be like. And um, the United States Department of Veterans Affairs put out a call the year that I applied the third year, and they wanted to know how human-centered design might be used to improve the veterans experience and service delivery to veterans. And I just, I found that extremely compelling question and I wanted to know 
how would one answer that? And I applied to the program and I was very happy to be um, invited to have a place and join. And so I set out on, on that adventure. That was really the introduction into, into government and into large scale. And it was easy. The transition was a piece of cake. <laughs> um, I'm a systems thinker. Some people sort of have to start with something small and then as they pull on a thread, get into the bigger, bigger, bigger picture. Other people start having to map the bigger picture and then sort of narrow in and find something small. And I'm, I'm the latter. So the way my brain works, I just, I need to understand a big picture of what I'm working with, all the dynamics at play, the people, like what's that whole thing going on? And then I can see where to situate and then get into a working at a tactical level. So um, while it's not easy to work within all the constraints of government, and it's not easy to learn how to understand a large organization and the dynamics that make it work, um, it's something that I enjoy, like getting a, a lay of the land and starting to map the territory and, and see where there's opportunity to move. So I, to me, that's an exciting, um, fun way to, to navigate. Well, let me ask you, um, was it harder to make that shift? Uh, well, you made really two shifts at once, in a way. You, you moved from maybe more tactical, uh, what I was calling micro earlier, to something at a more systems mm -hmm. level uh, with the, uh, the Presidential Innovations uh, Fellows Program. Innovation, I, I, mu I, I munged the name. It's just too many words that are multiple. Just call styles. it PIF. Yes, PIF. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's one transition you made, but you also made a transition from private to public sector. And I wonder how those two things contrasted. Were they equally hard or because you're a systems thinker, both of them were a piece of cake? I feel like we had very, very good onboarding in the um, Innovation Fellows Program because people who were career civil servants and had been in that administration um, came in and taught the, the fundamentals about what government's constraints were and how those differed than constraints in the private sector. Um, and I feel like that was very important foundational understanding for a lot of us. Um, there were a few people in that class of fellows who had worked in public sector, but most of us hadn't. So we really needed to understand how to understand the role or influence of government policy mm -hmm. on, you know, like how does that constrain how you can spend dollars or how programs get formed, how, how efforts get scoped. Um, you know, there were just like a lot of, of really fundamental things about working in that type of environment that we were well onboarded into. So when you got there and um, I guess the, the way it works, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you were essentially assigned, um, I don't know if you put it as a client, but you were assigned to work with the VA, correct? Or do you have, did you create that assignment, if you will? I was assigned. I applied specifically to work with VA. Okay. And I interviewed with a set of folks at VA who had already been doing human-centered design work. And so then I went to work with them specifically. So in the class of fellows, everybody was assigned to a different federal agency, except VA is so large, about 350,000 people. We had 
three fellows that were all working on different projects with NBA, but that was really nice and unique within our class because we had each other mm -hmm. to help, you know, kind of um, build that foundational understanding that I just spoke about previously. Like, what the heck is going on here? What part of this like elephant are you seeing? So uh, we we built, helped each other build a shared understanding of the organization in that way. Um, but something else that I would say is that the way the fellows program worked at that time anyway, was that everybody who was deployed to an agency was working on site primarily um, with that agency four days a week. And then we would all come back together one day a week as a class of fellows and we would share what we were learning. So I thought that that was very interesting that we could do pattern finding around where are you finding blockers? How are you overcoming those blockers? Like where are you finding open doors or cracks <laughs> in a door that you could like wedge open and run through and um, create some momentum? So that was also very helpful and really an incredible gift to have a group of people to have that kind of weekly dialogue with in such a um, like a neutral way that was about knowledge sharing. It wasn't about anybody jockeying, you know, for anything other than just trying to create the most impact um, as quickly as possible that we could. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you had a really good cohort. And, and of course the VA is, is, like you said, it's just, it's a universe unto itself, 350,000 people uh, catering to a much larger audience. Um, so I'm kind of curious though, in terms of, how you once you had connected with people to VA and and uh, joined PIF, did you have to then like dig into some of the specific challenges that VA was facing uh, on your own? Were you um, assigned a specific challenge? Uh, I, I'm you know like I'm just trying to think mm -hmm. about how when you just you know no matter how good your onboarding is, you're suddenly at this enormous organization and there are a zillion challenges how do you where do you begin how do you figure out what you're going to work on for those that period of time well i joined a small group in va called va center for innovation so it in and of itself was a group of a lot of people who come from private sector and they had been given the mandate to experiment and prototype with new ways of working, new ways of thinking, and the and bringing design in. So the deputy of that organization, Amber Slining, who herself is an army veteran, had been pioneering the use of human-centered design in different and using design ethnography mm -hmm. um, for a couple of years before I got there. So I was definitely able to like join into that stream and and help contribute to that work that was already underway. And Amber was great. I, the very first day I met her, we sat down at a table and she said, welcome. And here's what I want us to do. This is like on a Wednesday, I'm preparing to go in on Monday. She said, on Monday, we're going to leave for six weeks and we're going to go on the road and we're going to do research. It's like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> but, you know, when Amber says something, you make it happen. Uh, so where did you go very, in those six weeks? And, and <laughs> where'd you go and, and what did you learn in those six weeks? 
we very, very quickly learned how to like find all the workarounds in the VA travel booking system and the <laughs> supply procurement systems to get all the resources that we need to like hit the road. Uh, we chose six cities across the United States where we could go to urban and rural areas and also tribal lands and speak with veterans from all areas and branches of service to really ask them a very broad question, which was how is VA serving you? Um, my favorite kind of question, you know, it just opens up a dialogue to go in so many different directions. And, and we basically used the snowball sampling method. Um, we went through Amber and a couple of her colleagues network of veterans in those cities and asked them if they would be willing to speak with us. And then as you know, those people were sort of hubs in their local communities. And we asked them whom among the, you know, the people that they knew who were also veterans, would they recommend that we speak to who had a diversity of experiences? We were looking for people, as I said, all eras, branches of service, all ages, um, identities, abilities. We spoke with people who um, were really hard hitting, you know, entrepreneurs post-service and they were starting things up. We spoke with people who um, had very severe PTS who were, keeping themselves out of um, having to really engage deeply um, with people on a daily basis. Uh, we spoke with people who had military sexual trauma. We spoke with people who were still a duty reservists. I mean, all, all over the map. Um, so it was extremely interesting. There were six of us conducting interviews and basically we would do synthesis in our hotel room every night. We would decamp and like just put all of our, all of our notes from all the interviews, kind of start to cluster them into themes as we rolled across the country. Um, and it was an incredible way to really understand like who are veterans, which, you know, veterans or everybody with every kind of experience and every kind of worldview. Um, but I will say that it was an incredibly life-changing, humbling experience. And, you know, I did not come from a military family or really, my dad was in the Air Force for a couple of years, but he went on to become a physician and his military background wasn't, he didn't really carry that forward as a huge part of his identity. And we didn't, really didn't have it in my immediate family circle and military culture influence. We more had like lefty protest the war influence, um, you know? So I was really interested in like, what does it mean to be willing to put your life on the line for your country? And what, what does patriotism mean for somebody who's serving? And um, to really understand that. I'd love to get into some of the, the things that you learned, but we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review uh, with my guest, Sarah Brooks. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you want more, not only do we have a whole bunch of podcasts in our archive, but we have something that's very current, very alive, and very engaging for groups. And that is our communities. Rosenfeld Media runs a variety of communities that meet on a monthly basis for video conferences on a variety of topics near and dear to UX people, ranging from enterprise experience to advancing research, to design and research operations. I want to encourage you to join one of our communities. Again, it is free by going to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. Not only will you get a monthly video conference that you can listen in on and participate in, ask questions and so forth, 
give you access to the recordings. And uh, for some of those communities, we're talking about dozens of recordings with really interesting presenters and facilitators. You'll also get a newsletter. You'll get access to an advice columnist. Yes, we actually are providing advice columnists for each community. And finally, if you're interested in our conferences, our communities correspond to our conferences. So you will be the first to know when programs, uh, when programs go live, uh, when tickets go on sale, and by the way, most of our conferences sell out, and other good things about our conferences, such as uh, when the scholarship applications open up. So go to rosenfeldmedia.com communities. You're gonna find something that's free, something that's interesting, and it's a great opportunity to find your tribe as well. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. Uh, Sarah, you and I were just talking about uh, the, the, the road show, the, the, the tour of uh, America's uh, uh, military veterans and how you learned uh, about their needs and what a, a diverse group of people they are. Um, what were some of the things that really stuck with you? What, what kind of lessons uh, did you learn and, and how, did, how were you able to act on them? I was struck by people's patriotism and actually learned, I feel like I learned what that word could mean in the most positive sense from veterans. And that was made for me. I think I have tended maybe cultural heritage, I have European Jewish ancestry <laughs> on one side, Celtic ancestry on another. I've been a little wary of flag waving, um, you know, um, and na- nation getting, getting behind national identity in a really kind of zealous way makes me a little nervous. Um, but I, I really understood uh, service, the idea of selfless service uh, that, that almost to a person I encountered well, definitely to a person, not almost, definitely to a person that I encountered. And just how stand-up military people are, they, you know, they really know how to get shit done. So great at operationalizing. It's like, oh, you need a city built from nothing in 20 minutes? We got that. You know, <laughs> and just, just, I think the collectivism, I think I really learned that the, the U.S. military is one of the greatest collectivist kind of organizations. Um, Which is really anathema to, you know, Americans' uh, uh, fixation on individualism. And yet the, you know, this may be one of the most, uh, it's maybe the most American version of collectivism and maybe one of the most successful versions of collectivism globally. I think so. You're focused on the mission and you would do anything for your buddy, you know? And, and I really, I, that was, I found that very moving. I found it very humbling. I found it very, you know, just incredibly values aligned, ethically aligned, um, and inspiring. Um, yeah, I thought it was incredible what I did learn. So, so I think, I guess what you're hearing is that for me, I was super interested in who are these people as people first. And then how do we bring all those stories that we're hearing about people in the full context of their lives, what military service had been from them, for them, but now how they were trying to 
get the services that they had earned from VA and all the struggles that they were having in terms of how difficult those processes were to navigate. And that, that was very galvanizing because um, I just had such a strong feeling that you know, these services should not be difficult to navigate. It should be very easy to understand what am I eligible for? How do I get started? And how do I get engaged with looping together and knitting together all those different services? Because the services across healthcare, primary care, specialty care, all of that behavioral health, you know, the VA is the largest integrated healthcare system in the United States. And so there are all of those services that have to knit together and then all the back-end technology systems that either do or don't enable that in terms of you know your identity who you are your medical record all of that then there are a host of other benefits that are administered through the benefits administration that have to do with housing and vocational retraining and and educational benefits and all these other things. And then there's the third branch of VA, which is a National Cemetery Association. So at the end of someone's life, they can be honored in a VA cemetery. Um, but that's something that their families have to navigate while they're in a very difficult period of grief. And that's a time when you particularly don't want to put stress and strain um, on people. And, and um, so all of that, um, was was very rich set of data and insights that we were able to bring back, package up, and narrate in terms of the, the, the themes that we understood um, through stories, through the power of visual design, and deliver that um, to the to the new secretary of the VA, um, who then back to your earlier fundamental question, Lou, like, how do you know where to get started? The secretary got laser focused on based on some of the insights we delivered to him and other efforts he was undertaking to understand where he thought um, there were the most systemic challenges. And he basically pointed our team at, you know, at the first couple of things where he thought design could make a big impact. And he himself was a very interesting person because his name is Bob McDonald, and he is an 82nd Airborne Army vet who went on to join Procter & Gamble immediately after he left military service. He stayed in that organization, climbed up the ranks, eventually became the CEO, became the board chair, retired, and then came to VA hmm. to take on being the secretary um, because he felt called to the mission. So he didn't need a job. He was already had had a very um, substantial career, but he really understood veterans. He was absolutely dedicated to that mission. He was extremely great operational leader. And so um, he had really good discernment around where to focus energy to start to make the biggest improvements. And where did he point you? One of the first things we did was start to look at the disability application process for filing a disability claim. Very, very difficult and problematic. We started working on it. We started mapping it out. What did it take? How did it work? Um, we were using a lot of service design tools, service blueprinting, and just walking stepwise through understanding what was happening for the veteran, what was understand, what was happening in the backstage with all the technology systems. Um, and then 
Um, interestingly, also, there were a number of other efforts that were also looking at aspects of that process. So there was a whole team from the United States Digital Service that got involved in sort of automating that process. And there was somebody from VA Center for Innovation that was trying to get policy changes made to modernize that process. And so, you know, basically a group of people with tri were triangulating on, on different parts of it. And um, I feel like that's a model that Bob used probably in a number of places in the organization. We ended up also focusing on hiring medical assistants. We started focusing on um, getting a hiring pipeline for medical support assistance at the medical centers from 185 days into a 30-day period. Mm -hmm. That was one project that we worked on. Um, we worked on um, a set of kind of journey tools through different parts of the organization. We mapped um, some of the most used services and, you know, looking for places to make improvements. Were most of the improvements that you were making along the lines of digitization and automation or connecting systems that should have been connected but weren't or something else? You know, I feel like the United States Digital Service really took the lead on a lot of the automation, digitization, and technology-based interventions. And my team took the lead on things that were just people process challenges, like missed handoffs, places where, for example, in a medical center, um, you could encourage somebody who is a frontline staff to do the right thing for a veteran standing in front of them, even if it meant um, bending a rule as they understood a rule to be, um, you know, giving people the psychological safety and the permission to do what's right for a veteran. Um, just a lot of things that I kept looking for places where you don't need technology where it's just missed handoffs between people. And I should also say, um, I worked at the VA Center for Innovation for the first couple of months, and then the secretary uh, wanted to stand up a, a customer experience office, essentially. And so I went ahead and was part of the team that did that. There were three other people, a serial CEO from the private sector came in to be the chief veterans experience officer. And then there was um, myself and, and two other people. And then I led an insight and design team and was able to hire 12 designers. But this was one of the other workarounds that I did. Um, hiring in, in government is very, very difficult. So I utilized the lab at OPM as our hiring pipeline. They had like a fast track basically to bring in fellows. So we hired 12 fellows, OPM lab fellows who were permanently um, deployed to VA and were really the full-time team of the Insight and Design team. And I know that you've spoken to a few of those, Roseanne Stominski, Yulani LeBay. There were a number um, of people who all were, you know, had done great work in the private sector um, who came in. Well, I wish we could dig more into it. Um, and I, I got to imagine um, there's some interesting lessons from the, the public sector that you brought to your work in the private sector, namely IBM. But I, I do have one question for you before we wrap up. And, uh, and that's really about um, successful 
systems thinking in a design context like you've been doing, um, you know, there's more and more people that are making this transition and, and even people that are starting their design careers at the systems level without doing the, the sort of preliminary, uh, you know, career building and at more of a, a tactical level. Um, I'm wondering about how soft skills, that horrible phrase, but let's call them, maybe better to call them people skills. Do they, are they different when you're working at the systems level? Are they more or less important? What's your thinking about the, the role of people skills in, in systems thinking? I think people skills are undervalued in every workplace. All organizations are made of people. <laughs> we all have difficulty navigating um, our moods, emotions, and egos, and it requires a lot of mastery and um, intentional personal growth work, I think, to be effective with others. And it's something that we all are probably on a continuum of all the time. So I see these skills as essential. Um, it really starts with listening. Being a good listener is really important. Um, listening to understand, not listening to wait to respond and, re and have a rebuttal, but really seeking to understand and to find common ground and to find shared incentives. I think those are a couple of the key, key skills involved in helping efforts move forward and getting unstuck. But pretty much similar set of, uh, of uh, tools in the People Skills Toolkit for this setting as it probably would be for any design setting, I'm, I'm assuming. I think so. Okay. Well, um, fantastic. Um, I wish we could talk more. Um, but before we wrap up, um, I always like to ask uh, if there's something you'd like to shine a little light on. And I, I think... Um, you're not going to be the first person to bring up humanity centered. I did love humanity centered. I went through the six week course with a cohort of six people from my organization. We all took the class together. And um, some of my favorite things about it were Skyperize approaches and thoughts on um, empathetic fitness. If anybody is not familiar with her thoughts on that, go find them. Her work is out in, in public, and I think it's some of the most interesting and nuanced um, perspective out there. And also Vivienne Costello is incredible, and Alba Villamil, um, they're just an incredible um, team. I feel like we learned a lot um, together as a group. There's a sense of humility, openness, courage, uh, that they encouraged all of us to dig deeper and find find more depth within um, ourselves and with each other. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, Sarah Brooks, it's been great to have you on the show. I'm really looking forward to our work together. Uh, again, Sarah is one of the curators that's putting together a community and conference that Rosenfeld Media is hosting on civic design. The uh, first edition is just around the corner, Sarah, December 8th through 10th. It will be virtual. And uh, thank you for your service, uh, for the wonderful, th just like we thank the veterans, uh, <laughs> thank you as well. Uh, as you know, I've, I've been talking to so many people involved in design of the public sector, and uh, it really is um, the most 
human-centered uh, uh, work that can be done. And uh, I know it's not easy. So uh, thank you for your work there. And looking forward to uh, seeing you uh, in person one of these days, Sarah. Thanks, Lou. Good to talk with you and you too. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.